Well, good morning, ECPC. It is good to be here with you and to worship with you. Um, if you're visiting with us today, we are glad that you are here. My name is Austin Castle. Uh, I'm going into my third year of seminary. I would love to meet you after the service. So we are a little over halfway through a series on Judges right now. Uh, and this morning we'll be looking at Judges 13 verses 15 to 25. Uh, so as you turn there in your Bible, um, I'm going to read from chapter 13, verse 8. Um, verse 15, uh, it, it picks up in a little bit of an odd spot, so I'm going to start from verse 8. But as you turn there, I'd like to point out that uh, most historians agree that the time of the judges took place about 3,000 years ago, give or take a century, and that was about 1,000 years before the birth of Christ. And what you will find today is that even all those years ago in Judges 13, God was using events in history, um, even in a particularly dark time in the history of Israel, to bring about the salvation of his people through Christ. With that in mind, let's all stand for the reading of God's word. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, Please let the man of God whom you sent, child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife, and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now, when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life, and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please, let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the Lord. What is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering, and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that the, this was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahadan between Zorah and Eshtal. You can have a seat. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, 
Would you give us ears that are eager to hear the magnificent truths you have given us in your word and hearts that are receptive to your instruction this morning? God, as we learn about you in your word, we are unable to distill you down into one point or category or aspect. We have to continually search and investigate, examine and re-examine the immensity of who you are because you are beyond our comprehension. Yet, you are not far from any of us. And so even this morning, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you grant each of us greater understanding of your mercy and love, a greater closeness with you, God, and a greater love for our friends and neighbors who are created in your image. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, in Gary Thomas's book, Cherish, um, which is uh, a book about marriage. Um, if you are married or aspire to be married, I highly recommend it. Or even if you uh, just interact with other people, it's a great book about appreciating other people. At one point, Gary draws an illustration between marriage and ballet. Um, he, he quotes uh, the great ballet choreographer, George Balanchine, who said, ballet is woman. Balanchine's whole point is that the point of ballet is woman and her graceful movements as she dances. There is one dance that Gary Thomas uh, draws on called pas de deux, which is French for dance or step, step of two. And this is where a female and a male ballerina work together in the dance to do and attempt more than someone could attempt by themselves. Gary Thomas calls this making the beautiful more beautiful. He points out that the purpose of a male dancer is to take the dance to greater heights and not to make it about themselves. In a good pas de deux, the male dancer often positions himself in such a way to minimize his own presence on the stage and to maximize the display of the graceful movements of this female dancer he's dancing with. In our passage today, Manoah and his wife are supposed to be dancing pas de deux. But Manoah is stepping on his ballerina's toes. One commentator points out the irony of how Manoah is named throughout this passage and his wife is not. Yet his wife is given a more significant role in this story and Manoah, Manoah is a little clueless. This commentator indicates that what is, uh, what is being showcased through this literary display is that God has given Samson's mother, the one who the angel appears to, who will bear this child who will deliver Israel, and who even in this passage must keep the Nazarite requirements, God is giving her a special role in this passage. The absence of the name of Samson's mother is almost like the absence of God's name through the book of Esther. If you remember from when we were at work through the book of Esther, point is on Manoah's wife and not on Manoah. Well, Manoah has prayed to God in verse 8, and God has granted his request. But the message that the angel gives Manoah is not quite what he was expecting. The angel in verse 13 effectively says, I told your wife what to do. If you ask any man whose wife is about to have a baby or whose wife who has recently had a baby, um, how taxing it was for that man during the pregnancy. He will probably look at you a little funny and you will say, well, my wife did all the work. Um, I didn't carry the child or birth the child. Um, and maybe my sleep is a little disrupted now, but she is the one keeping our son or daughter alive. 
What we see in Manoah is a man who is anxious for something to do during his wife's pregnancy. He is not satisfied that his wife is the one who receives the instruction from God. And he wants to know what he's supposed to do. What is his purpose in this endeavor? Well, his purpose that the angel tells him is to support his wife. He is supposed to engage in Padedu. Even though Manoah has stolen the spotlight somewhat and is not responding to God's instruction and obedience in faith, God has mercifully responded to Manoah's prayer in verse 8. God gives him clear communication through the means of prayer. In the same way, prayer is your communication with God and God's communication back to us. It's a two-way communication. We pray to God, and God communicates with us through his word and through the person of Jesus. Imagine with me for a moment that you're in college or, or back in college, and you are studying international relations with dual concentrations in sociology and anthropology because you want to become a diplomat. And not just any diplomat, you want to be a really good diplomat, maybe solve all the world's problems, um, or perhaps just one or two countries' problems. But imagine with me for a moment that you have been given a rare opportunity, and the dean has called you into her office, and she is going to give you instructions on exactly what you need to do to be an excellent diplomat. And these instructions come with a guarantee that if you follow everything she tells you, that you will have success in all of your diplomatic activities. If only solving the world's problems were that simple, you might say. But if this were true, and your beloved dean was sincere, and all that their advice was, was really guaranteed, what kind of attention would you give them as you sit there and, and listen to what they have to say? That conversation, even if it was a few hours long, would probably be seared into your memory knowing that this is an incredible opportunity, an incredible communication that has been given to you. So when Manoah prays and asks God for this angel to visit again, it's an incredible opportunity that God grants for communication. And in verse 17, we see that Manoah is so bold to ask the angel what the angel's name is. And in verse 17, we see that the name of the angel isn't exactly given, but it will be it's described as wonderful. God, who communicates with people through the interpersonal channels of language, has revealed his name to us so that we may know him. And the angel of the Lord is accurate when he says that God's name is wonderful. In the Old Testament, God identifies himself in a few different ways when he describes his own name. When Moses asks what he should tell Israel is the name of their God. God tells Moses, I am who I am. Then later in the same passage, God identifies himself to Moses as God who is consistent through time. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when God describes himself later in the Old Testament, he says, I am merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You find that again and again as the refrain of the way God refers to himself in the Old Testament. And later in the New Testament, Jesus instructs us to pray to God as our Father in heaven. Remembering names and being remembered by your name feels good. When you meet someone and you see them again later, it feels good when they remember your name And it feels good when someone addresses you 
by name. And so Manoah offers this sacrifice in Judges 13 to the Lord and to the name of the one who is wonderful and who works wonders. God wants us to remember and address him all the time. And so we are instructed to pray without ceasing to God, our Father in heaven. And how do we know that God hears us in all circumstances? Take a look at verses 20 and 21 with me. Manoah and his wife are watching this sacrifice, and they see that the angel of the Lord goes up in the sacrifice. God has responded to the offering that they make to the Lord. In verse 23, Samson's mother points out that this offering has been accepted by the Lord. Not only do we communicate with God, but God communicates to us in his word and in his son, in Christ. One of, uh, one of my professors in seminary has a little analogy about why God communicates with us. He, he says, imagine for a moment that your parents are immensely loving and wise and kind and have vast resources at their disposal. And when you go off to college, they install a telephone directly in your dorm room. And they say, you, use this anytime. Call us anytime. We're here for you. Our support is immensely valuable to you. And it would be, and it is. And yet, if they never used the telephone the other way to call you, it wouldn't quite make sense with who they are as good and kind and immensely wise and loving parents. So what we see with God in his infinite wisdom and power and ability is that he communicates with us through his word. In God's own word, he describes himself as God who hears our prayers. In Psalm 65, even in David's own prayers, God is recorded this way, as the God who hears our prayers. In Revelation 8, the prayers of the people, our own prayers, are described as pleasant-smelling incense to God. And in Revelation 5, it is described as incense that's valuable, it's precious, it's contained in golden bowls, and it is immensely pleasing to the Lord. Here in this passage, we even see God listens to Manoah's prayer, despite Manoah being a little confused about what is going on in this passage. God answers his question, even if the answer is, I have communicated already to your wife. God responds to what his name is in the way that Manoah addresses him. God who does not change is the same in this passage as he is today. He listens and responds to Manoah, and he listens and responds to each of you. God has communicated to us in his word, and he's also communicated with us through his son, through Christ. Through his son, he has expressed a desire to be reconciled with people whose relationship with God has been fractured. God has communicated himself in a way that we understand in the person of Jesus. This is God's movement towards us. This is his pursuit of lost souls. This is the heart of the gospel that many of us uh, is the first scripture verse that we learn in John, his son. God has sent us his son as the purpose, the person who would accomplish his purposes of salvation. The God who gives us clear channels of communication wants us to be reconciled to him and communicates that to us. What is God's desire for reconciliation like? Well, 
It is like my mechanic's desire to add tools to his toolbox. Now, stay with me, stay with me. I was talking with the mechanic a few years ago who was fixing my car, and he was talking about the wide array of tools that he has amassed. He, has, he probably had two garage bays full at that point of toolboxes and equipment and all sorts of things. And he was talking about how there was another, always another tool uh, with some special use that he was thinking about adding to his repertoire. And uh, maybe you can relate in a similar realm. Maybe it's books for you or, or clothes or throw pillows, perhaps. But um, each of us understands uh, the desire for things with a specific purpose, things that uh, have a specific place in an assortment of items, a particular value that each part of a collection brings to the person who seeks out these items. Well, this mechanic summed up his desire for more gadgets by saying there are two kinds of tools in this world. There are the tools that I have and the tools that I want. Um, in a sense, he was saying there's always room for more in his garage, right? Yet, in a similar way, in a much more important way, God would say there are two kinds of people in this world. There are the people that he has and the people that he wants. God has gone to great lengths to purchase the people that he wants through Christ. Each of you were bought with a price, a very costly price of Jesus being crucified. And Jesus is the offering that is uh, given for us as a pleasing offering so that we can be reconciled to God. When Manoah realizes that he has seen God in this passage after he makes an offering, he starts to freak out because he understands the severity of what has just happened. For all of his life, he has understood that when a person who is not holy comes in contact with the living God, they die. But Manoah's wife understands why have they have not been killed. Look at verse 23. If the Lord meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering or a grain offering at our hands or shown us these things or now announced to us such things as these. Why does God hear your prayers today if we don't communicate with God in the same way through sacrifices and offerings? Jesus is the perfect offering up to God on your behalf so that you can be reconciled to God. Jesus, much like Samson's Nazarite vow, kept all of the law. This was how he was set apart. He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so he is the perfect offering on our behalf. If you're familiar with uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, there's, there's some questions in there about who Jesus is and what his role is, particularly question 25 and 23 this morning pertain to Jesus's role as the perfect offering on our behalf. Question 25 of the Westminster Catechism says that Christ executes the office of a priest in his once offering up himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and to reconcile us to God and in making continual intercession for us. In other words, Jesus, even now, is praying on our behalf. Question 23 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism emphasizes this and says that Christ continue, continues in his offices, even now, after his resurrection. He is continually praying for us to the Father. 
In the cycle of the judges, God has established a pattern of saving his people from themselves and from the cruel rulers that they have sought out. And this pattern is building up and pointing to Jesus as the savior of God's people, who will not only save you from your sin, but also free you from the power of sin, death, and the devil. So what we see in Samson is the arrival of hope for the Israelites. Samson's birth is announced in Judges 13, 24. This is the dawning of hope for Israel. This is the deliverance that the angel promised to Samson's mother earlier in chapter 13. In a similar way, as you look back through history, Jesus is the hope that we turn to for deliverance from sin. Samson is a foreshadow of what is to come when Christ arrives in the New Testament. We see that there is an appearance, a miraculous message from angels to both mothers. Both of these mothers are barren. They are promised a child under extraordinary circumstances. In both birth narratives, Mary takes Mary and Manoah, uh, Manoah's wife take a significant role in the passage, more so than their husbands do. Christ is the deliverer of Israel, just as Samson is the deliverer of Israel. And Samson has been set apart here in verse 13 for God through his Nazarite vows, just as Jesus adheres to all that the Old Testament law requires to be holy and set apart for God. Finally, Samson is led here by the Holy Spirit, and so is Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. And so Jesus is the hope that all our prayers are funneled through as we offer them up to God. Jesus is our sure and steadfast hope that motivates us to pray to God. Not only is he offering to God prayers on our behalf, but he is also interceding to the Father even now. Why is it that the members of the Trinity also pray? Have you ever wondered that? Before we communicated with God, God communicated within himself not out of necessity, out of some need to communicate, but out of a delight to communicate among the persons of the Trinity. And so our communication with God is an extension of God's delight to communicate within himself. We know that this communication extends to us as the Holy Spirit is also praying for us, even when we don't necessarily know what to pray about. And even when we don't know what to pray the Holy Spirit is praying according to the will of God. From 2012, it was a few years ago, and one of the pastor's illustrations, he starts talking about this new thing um, that was going around Facebook called memes. And uh, these, these memes had the block text on the top and the bottom, right? They were old school, so to speak. And uh, what we find now is meme memes are everywhere. We communicate with each other in memes, and they're funny because they're relatable. Most of you in this room have probably sent someone a meme or received a meme from someone else. Um, I have friends that send me memes, and we find them funny because we understand what is, uh, what is being communicated through this meme. There's a shared experience there. There's a good feeling that you get when someone sends you something that says, I thought this was funny, and then thought of you, right? This good feeling that you get when someone sends us something saying thinking of you 
is how God views our prayers when we offer them up to God. The God of the universe loves to hear from you. He can relate with what you are going through. And he knows deeply what you are going through. Now, you might be sitting there and thinking, Austin, did you just compare the way that I pray to memes? And yes, I did. But God, God takes our prayers seriously, unless they're not serious and they are intended to be funny. Have you ever, ever wondered what it will be like when we are in glory? And we're communicating with God, and there is nothing to communicate over that is about death or dying or sickness or sadness. I doubt in the new heavens and the new earth we will all be somber and stuffy. Um, I think that we will be earnestly and earnestly joyful as we communicate with each other and communicate with the Lord. Let me leave you with this. If you ever ask God, are you listening? You can rest assured knowing that God, who is gracious and merciful, hears your prayers. Not only this, but God wants to converse with you, whether you would call yourself a Christian or not. And if you turn to him in prayer, he will respond to you through his word and through his son. All the time, knowing that as you pray, not only is the Holy Spirit praying with you, but so is the Son of God. Let's pray. Our great God in heaven, we turn to you in prayer, knowing that you are excited to hear from the people that you love, and knowing how excited you are to converse and communicate with us. Not only are you God who has set the universe in motion, but you are God who, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is deeply connected to life in the here and now, and who is sustaining all, three, all things through the power of your word. We are in awe at how you are so deeply invested in our lives that you stooped down to us in a way we would understand, in the person of Jesus, with the specific mission to live and die and be resurrected from the dead, so that helpless people who put their hope in, in his resurrection would be reconciled with their God. Your mercy and kindness and grace to us knows no end, God. Father, if there is anyone here today who does not know your mercy and grace, would you Reveal yourself to them as a kind and loving father. Would you give them courage even today to turn to you in prayer, to trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus to save them? We ask that this would not just be true of people with us today, but people around the world. And now as we turn to your table, Lord Jesus, help us to remember that this was a meal that you looked forward to with your disciples. Because you knew that the celebration of Passover with your disciples would be a reminder for Christians through history, even for us today, of, of the guarantee and the unshakability of our salvation through your death and resurrection. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what a treasure we have in you, our God. Amen.